Hey, I do have a question for everybody. Um, how many of you are on Facebook? Can I ask you that? Uh, wow, that is amazing. A lot of you. Um, I got on a few months ago, and uh, I had someone uh, ask me what I thought of it. Like, hey, how do you like it? And I, my, I think, official position is it's okay. Um, I do have one, um, you know, beef with Facebook, if you will, and that is that I, I, I wish they didn't call um, all the people that you know, you know, your friends, um, because it's not always the case. In fact, let me ask a second question. How many of you actually on Facebook, you friended someone that you don't actually like? Can I ask that question? Right? I, right? Uh, okay. This, but about 20% of the audience is telling the truth. The rest of us are lying. Um, but I have. Like, I remember when I first got on, within like a week, I had this guy who I went to high school with want to be my friend on Facebook. But the problem is this. I couldn't stand that guy in high school. I mean, this guy was like my arch nemesis um, in, in, in high school. He was just like so annoying, you know. And it's like if I was Superman, he was like my Lex Luthor. You know, if I was Obi-Wan Kenobi, he was my Darth Vader. If I was Neo from the Matrix, he was my Agent Smith. If I was, well, I think you're getting the idea as to how I felt about this guy. And, um, you know, and, and here's the weird part is that even after as much as I couldn't stand him, I said, okay. And you know how uh, on Facebook that there's this thing that happens where um, it just kind of like rotates your friends. You know, it tells you how many friends you have and then it kind of rotates. So then like, it's like, you know, once a month or something, I actually see the guy's face, uh, you know, and like, there's like this weird picture of him. Uh, and, and, and I see every, when I go on my page, I actually see his picture every once in a while. And I'm telling you, I get like indigestion. Every time I see it, I'm like, why is that? You know, I, it drives me nuts. And, um, you know, and that's, I guess, the part that drives me crazy about Facebook is that it, it takes the word friend and it, that, used to, that should have, like, special designation in your life, and then it reduces it to, like, well, it's just a guy that you sat next to in math class and borrowed a pencil from once, and now that's, like, you know, that, you know, you all get the same designation from that one and, you know, like your lifelong friend. Um, but the thing is this, is that friendship is really supposed to be a sacred thing. Uh, it's not supposed to be taken lightly. Uh, in fact, um, like one of the things that we do in our culture, and I think especially in, in more transient communities like Miami, is that what we tend to do is you meet someone three times and you're like, oh, yeah, he's my friend. When it really just means like, you know, you got introduced to him once, you ran into him once at Publix and then somewhere else. It's like now, now you're friends. Um, in other parts of the world, um, it takes years to get the designation of, of friend, right? And, and, and so it's like, well, um, you know, because you could just be an acquaintance for a great deal of time, and then, uh, but at, at, at later on is when you get the designation of friends. And, and you know, there, there's something interesting that happens in our culture. In our, in our culture, we are just like, like just crazy over the idea of romantic love, because friendship is something that never really gets talked about. Um, you never see on the cover of the magazines uh, in the line at Publix. I know, I, none of them actually. We don't read those. We just thumb through them in Publix. Um, you know, like people. Nobody actually reads people. We just thumb through them in Publix. Um, but, you know, it's, like, it's never like so-and-so and so-and-so, friends. You never actually see that. Instead, what you see is so-and-so and so-and-so, you know, are they a couple? And that's like what tends to make headlines and news in our culture. But the, the thing that's so important is this, is that, um, you know, it, the, the idea of friendship is kind of what shapes everything else, right? And, and so I want you to think about this because friendships in our culture are so fickle. Uh, in fact, let me just do this. Let's, let's maybe look at uh, some famous friends if we can uh, that we might be able to see. Check out. Here's one. There's some famous friends. Um, 
That's actually the biggest. I got the biggest cheer in the first service over this. Um, so, you know, but you know, you, you, no, that was not meant to be a compliment to the first service. So it's just I well, I appreciate that. I, you know, anyway. So thank you to Jennifer Aniston for that. Um, I right, hear some other famous friends. Um, right. Bert and Ernie. But here's the weird part. If Ernie was like a really good friend to Bert, he would talk to him about the unibrow. Um, but we're going to let that one go for now. Um, here's another uh, group of famous friends, right? Yeah, Ben and Matt um, wrote one good movie, and then what happened? Okay, moving on, um, right? This is some, some newer friends, right? Um, Snoop Dogg and some lady. I don't know who she is. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, of course, these other friends right here. Um, you know, I guess maybe some people shouldn't be friends, right? I guess if there was a third picture, it could have been a white Bronco on there, too. And, um, wow, there's just so many jokes right now. Uh, just that, and I'm, I'm holding back. Okay. Um, but here, now, let me, um, let me talk to you about something that, that I think is, is really, really important on this, on this subject of, of, of friendship. And that is this. Is um, friendship in the Hebrew culture. Friendship in the Hebrew culture that Proverbs was written in. Friendship in the, in the Hebrew culture that Jesus was born into. Listen, it was a covenant relationship. It was a relationship that was a brother-like bond that was built on a commitment that one made to the other. In fact, the reason that I brought these famous friends and, and showed them to you is simply because of this. is because um, one of the kind of themes throughout this message is we're going to be looking at a particular friendship. Uh, what, what many would say is probably the most famous friendship in the Bible. The most famous friendship in the Bible is between David, who later would be King David, and Jonathan, the son of the current king at the time, King Saul. You see, here's the thing that makes their friendship so amazing, is that Saul was named king. And basically how it worked in those days was if your dad was king, all you had to do was just wait for your dad to die, and then you would become king. But see, here's the thing that's so interesting, is that even though that was the case, God had rejected Saul as king, but... Um, it still could have happened that Jonathan became king. But instead, here's what he knew. Jonathan says to, to David, David, I know that God has anointed you and called you to be king. And so even though he had maybe the lineage to be king, he steps aside and he says, I know that at some point God is actually going to lift you up and make you king. And so instead of competing against that and fighting against that, I'm actually going to complement that. And instead, we'll forge a friendship that will last our lifetimes. So instead of having jealousy, instead of having envy, instead, here's what he does. He supports David and he gives us the model of what friendship really is. In the notes that we gave you, here's what the Bible says. It says, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. You see, here's what I've learned. This is one of the things that I've learned in my life is that the friends that we choose determine the direction and the destination of our lives. You see, in the early part of your life, your family, those that are close to you in your, in your formative years, those are the people that are molding you and shaping who you are. But later on in life, when you start hitting high school and college and you enter into adulthood, here's what happens. Later on, it's the friends that you choose that influence who it is that you become. And the person that says, oh, no, no, nobody's molding me and shaping me. I'm making all of my own decisions. Listen, there's a word for those kind of people. You may want to write it down. It's delusional. All right. Uh, and and, and that, the reason is this, is because all of us, just, we are, 
we, we have to own our own decisions, but at the same time, we have to understand that the people that we choose to be around us influence even the decisions that we make. In fact, one of the quotes that I, I've heard, I heard years ago that um, just followed me, and, I, and, I'm, and it's so powerful, but it says this, he says, it's, it's, that, it's that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Now think about that. Now some of us hear that and we say, oh no. I hope that's not true, but it is. We are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And that's why the Bible as a whole, and Proverbs in particular, has so much to say about friendships, because the friends that we choose will determine the direction and destination of our lives. Proverbs chapter 12 says it this way, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. And so here's what I want to do for the minutes that we have is that I actually want to spend some time looking at what real friendship is. What real friendship, according to Proverbs, is. And I want to give you, in, in your notes, three characteristics of real friendships. Because here's what I want you to be able to do, is maybe take this grid and look at the current rela- friendship relationships that you have and say to yourself, is this a real friendship? Or is it maybe something else? And so you might look on and say, man, I thought I had like 20 or 30 friends, but it's actually that these aren't really friendships at all. Or you may look on and you say, you know, I thought I had this many, but I actually maybe only have like three or four real friends. And if you do, can I tell you this? You are a blessed person to say, hey, I've got three or four or five people that I can count on no matter what. And that those people know that they can count on me as well. So where are we going to start? We're going to start in the book of Proverbs chapter 27. So open your Bibles there if you would. And Proverbs 27 and have your notes and your pen handy as we take some notes together. And we're going to start in verse five. And here's what it says. It says, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's what I want to share with you. Number one in your notes is that real friendship loves enough to be honest. Real friendship loves enough to be honest. A few years ago, I was teaching a Bible study on Wednesday night before we had this amazing small group system that many of you guys are a part of and in small groups and so many people leading small groups. One of the things that we did, we had a Wednesday night study that was pretty much exactly like this one, which made us really think, why are we doing duplicating this? But anyway, um, one of the things that we did was that um, I had taught a message on Wednesday night, and i got to be honest, I felt really good about it. I mean, I thought it was amazing. Nobody else thought it was amazing. I at least thought it was amazing. And um, I got done, and I'm like, you know, I mean, this was like, Grand Slam material. And I'm not talking about Grand Slam at like Denny's. I'm talking about like a real home run Grand Slam. I mean, this was like really good. And I felt really good. And in fact, a friend of mine who was uh, on our staff at the time, he wa- he's walking up to me. And I thought, this is what I thought. I thought, you know, he's going to walk up to me and tell me it was awesome because it was that good. And so he walks up to me and there was like this group of people around that were, we were talking and they were telling me how much they enjoyed the message. And then he'd walk, he walked up to me and he said, um, hey, Bob, can I borrow you for a second? And I said, sure. And I'm like, this guy is going to like pour his heart out to me now because the message was that good. He's probably going to cry a little bit and that's okay because I'll pray for him. But, um, you know, but it's, it's, it's that, it's that powerful. I mean, that message is that powerful. And he says, thank you. I borrow for you a second. And I walk away and I said, Hey, what's up? He says, Hey, I just wanted to tell you that uh, your zipper's down. Uh, and I'm like, excuse me. And he says, yeah, not only is it down now, but for the entire message, it was down as well. And, um, and I'm like, man, I knew people were laughing a little too hard at my jokes at that, in, that, in that message that I gave. And, um, and I'll tell you what, you know the weird part is? Nobody had said a word except for this one friend who said, I need to be honest with this person uh, that I care about. And that's what a real friend does. And, and the thing is this, 
And this is the thing that's so important. You're able to hear it from them, whatever the correction it is that they're going to give, whatever is the thing that they're going to share, because you know that love is their motivation. You see, in fact, here's the thing about friendship is that if you know you need to say something, your friend is about to make a decision that's going to just mess their life up. And if you don't say anything, it's actually unloving to not say something. Um, I, I, had in a very sim- I was in a very similar situation with the story I told you, except I was on the other side of it. I had just had lunch with two friends of mine. This is years and years ago. And he was about ready. To, after lunch, he was going to walk into this big meeting. And so we had lunch. And it was kind of some of it was talking about this meeting he was going into. Well, he gets done with the meeting. And after we had had lunch, uh, we'd gone to this barbecue uh, place for lunch because um, I just feel like I, I think better after a barbecue meal. Um, well, anyway, we get done with this barbecue meal. And he's ready. And he has this giant kernel of corn stuck in between his teeth and and like even after we're done and we're just like hanging out in the parking lot talking before we leave i couldn't even hear the words i was just staring at that piece of corn i'm like that kernel of corn is so huge i mean it's like the size of a candy corn i mean it's it's enormous i mean it's like a gumball size piece of corn well then he's gonna leave and i'm like all right man well i'll see you later hope that meeting goes well and um and then the other this other friend that was with us he said, hey, um, his name, the guy's name was Steve. He says, hey, Steve, you know, you've got this huge piece of corn in between your teeth. And he's like, I do. And he gets a mirror, you know, like, the, like in his car. And he's like, oh, man, thank you so much. And then he goes, thanks, Bob, for being a great friend. And I'm like, well, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. I did find that mesmerizing. You know, you ever thought about putting people in a trance with that corn? Um, well, but here's the thing. That's the thing that's, that, that, that's, that's so important about it is that. And this is the thing that's so important about friendship. The more that friendship deepens, the more of an opportunity that you have to actually speak into the life of a person um, when when the the opportunity or need arises. And, And the thing is this, and this is what's so important, is that if we don't, what we're actually doing is not loving them. And here's why. The reason that we're not loving them is because we're actually caring more about ourselves than we're caring about them. Because what we don't want is the uncomfortability of having to deal with that situation. Instead, it's like, well, you just go what you're going to do, and then, you know, we'll just go and talk about football afterwards. No, what a real friend does is that he says, hey, I know this is a little bit awkward, but I want to talk about this. And if we do, because you know how much I care about you, you know the motivation is love, then here's what will happen. Even if you disagree with me, you'll know that I shared this because I care. Listen, that's why betrayal is hurts someone so deeply and is so difficult for people to get over. It's because what betrayal does is that you have this deep relationship and they throw all of it away for the sake of doing what it is that they want to do. Whether it's, um, you know, hurt you, uh, slander, gossip about you or not come through for you or purposely seek to hurt you to some degree. And it's like, well, what, how, what, what is that? What is that? How does that work? Um, when Judas betrayed Jesus, what makes it so hurtful is that um, it's not like there were only 12 people following Jesus. Uh, and sometimes we think that, well, there's Jesus and the 12. But what the Bible says is that there were many disciples. There was lots of people following Jesus, but Jesus had an inner circle of 12 disciples that he personally hand chose. And I'm sure that there were people in the multitude saying, man, I wish I could be one of the 12. I wish I could be part of that inner circle that we're learning and hearing from him and, and, and growing at, at the rate that they were. And then here's what happens. And so for one of the 12 to betray him and in the way in which he betrayed him is what makes it all the more 
hurtful. Because how did Judas betray Jesus? He betrayed him with a kiss. The symbol of friendship. Now here's what I want to do. I want to read you a couple of verses in uh, the Matthew account of um, the arrest of Jesus and, the, and Judas's betrayal of Jesus. But I need to give you a little bit of background on two words in particular. And if I give you the, the background of these two words, it will deepen your understanding of what exactly was happening in this all together, which just like to me, now I read it, it's just mind-blowing as to how it is that works. Um, one of the, the, the Hebrew words for friend, in fact, there's six words in Hebrew that are translated friend in English, which kind of tells you how rich the Hebrew language is. Um, but there's six words in, in, in Hebrew for friend, but the one that we're going to focus on in particular is the Hebrew word haver, H-A-V-E-R. And so if you are a friend, you are a haver. If you have friends, you are friends with someone, you are haverim. Uh, because it, just like how in English we add an S to make something plural, in Hebrew you add I-M to make it plural. So haver is singular, haverim is plural. And so here's the thing. Haverim is not just like, oh yeah, we just, you know, go to, you know, me and my buddy, we go to a movie together. That's not what haverim is. Haver, a haverim friend is a member of a covenant community that have commit, committed themselves to the study of God's word, to deepen their understanding of who God is, to deepen their friendship as they grow together. See, that's just there's a big difference between, oh, he's a buddy of mine, he's a friend of mine, and to be part of a covenant community that's built on commitment and friendship to study God's word and to know him and make him known. So think about this. So when Jesus um, is about to be betrayed and arrested and Judas shows up and he gives him a kiss. I want, I want to I put the, the verses in your notes because I wanted you to see it. Here's what it says. It says, now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one sees him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Now, if you pause there for a second, let me just give you an understanding of this word rabbi. And we talked about this a little bit last week. If you're here, if not, let me just kind of maybe um, drill a little bit deeper on that phrase rabbi. The term rabbi can also be translated master um, because that was the relationship. When you were the rabbi uh, and you had students, which were called Talmudim, which were the, the disciples, it was like a master to servant relationship. And that is everything that you were asking them to do was for the purpose of them understanding what it was that you were teaching. And so, and the idea of following a particular rabbi was because you wanted to learn, and eventually this was your goal, was to become like them in every way. That's why Jesus, uh, the disciples of Jesus came and asked, asked Jesus, they said, teach us how to pray. It wasn't that they had never prayed before. There are many ancient Hebrew prayers that they would have prayed. But he says, teach us how to pray, because what they're essentially saying is, we want to know how to pray the way that you pray. Because our desire as your students, as your Talmudim, as your disciples, is to learn to do everything the way that our rabbi does. And so it's just this position of, it's venerating someone, it's a position of respect, it's a position of honor. And so for him to say, greetings, rabbi, greetings, master, greeting, greetings, the one that I want to do everything to eventually become like, and then kiss him. But listen to how Jesus responds to him. This is what's so interesting. But Jesus said to him, friend, Habarim, why have you come? And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Do you understand that J Judas walks up to Jesus and, and, and refers to him by religious title? And he says, you know, Master, the one I want to become like, Rabbi, how are you? And he kisses him. And then Jesus, knowing what he's doing, he says, Haver, 
Haverim. Remember this relationship that we had, this covenant relationship to grow in our understanding of who God is, to actually that our friendship would actually make our fellowship with God and our fellowship with each other even deeper. Is that what we're doing here? Is that what this whole scene is all about? And maybe that's why afterwards he says to after he has those pieces of silver, he says, maybe the problem is, is that I betrayed innocent blood. You see. This is the thing about friendship is that when you're a friend, sometimes you have to say something even when it hurts. And sometimes it actually hurts you to have to say it. And it's not because you want to say something in a a hurtful way, but instead you've got to say something because honesty is what builds the friendship. The passage that we read initially in, in Proverbs 27, it says open rebuke is better than hidden love. The idea is this, is that, well, I love this person, and so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to tell them what I think, because that's going to make the situation a little awkward. And I don't want to be awkward with this person, so you go and do what you're going to do, and then if it all backfires, well, then, hey, we'll just go watch a movie and we won't worry about it. No, that's not what a real friend does. A real friend loves enough to be honest. Um, I had one of these conversations this week, and it was so tough. Um, And so... uh, I, I talked to a friend of mine, a really good friend, someone I care about very deeply, and um, I had to tell them some news that I know that they didn't want to hear. And so I shared it with them, and, and I said, listen, I want you to understand kind of this, how this whole thing is going, and I don't want you to make a bad decision. And so as we're walking through this, um, I, I get done, and then uh, I walk over to Pastor Mark's office, whose office is just across from mine, and I sit down on his couch, and I, and I close the door, and uh, Mark is a great friend of mine, and, and I... I sat there and I said to him, um, like almost exactly, I said, um, why is it that I just did the right thing and yet I feel like a jerk? Why is that? And he says, well, what happened? And so I relay him the whole story as to what happened. And he says, well, it sounds like you did the right thing. And I said, man, it just seems like well, that doing the right thing wouldn't actually feel so bad. And so then we, it kind of led to us to have this conversation about the real nature of friendship. That the real nature of friendship is not having everything feel good all the time, but instead it's that you love someone enough so that you're actually willing to create a little bit of awkwardness in the relationship for that person's best interest. Because here's what happens. that This happens for all of us. You have a conversation that's maybe a little bit tense, but you're, you're trying to speak the truth, but speak it in love according to Ephesians 4. And so here's what happens is that you share this, you share it in a loving way, and then it does make the relationship a little tense and a little awkward. But here's what your hope is, is that after maybe a week or two or three or ten, that they now start thinking about what happened and say, you know what, maybe I didn't agree at the time, but what they were saying to me really was right. Or maybe they totally disagree and say, you know, here's what I know, is that they came to me in humility, they came to me in love, they came to me and they weren't trying to hurt me, but instead, um, because they care about me, they came to me and shared this. And listen, that just shows how much... This person really loves and care about, cares about me because that's what real friendship is. Real friendship is willing to put aside its own comfortability for the sake of telling that friend what they need to hear. Now, let me just say this as a word of caution, if I could. This is not a license to tell people whatever you want. All right? Because sometimes you hear a message like this and you're like, oh, man, I've already been making a list. And I'm checking it twice. Because there's a whole host of people that I am going to just... You know, tell everything I've been thinking about. No, no, no. Now, here's the key. The key to understand is this, is that the reason that you say what you say to a friend that you care about, if it's a tough conversation, is not to make yourself feel better. 
You say this, and here's why. You say this to them because you want them to make the right choice and do the right thing. Even if you're uncomfortable, you want them to do the right thing, and that's what deepens the friendship. See, so it's not about just saying whatever you want. Sometimes in the name of, well, I'm your friend, people say very, very hurtful things that actually end up eroding friendship. But instead what happens, the thing that's so important is to say, hey, here's what I want to do. What I want to do is say, um, I know that this might seem awkward, and this is not my intention, but I want to know that I care about you so much that I'm willing to risk that for the sake of you, you making the right choice because I care about you that much. So the sacrifice is, is on me, but I want the best for you. And that's what a real friend does. A real friendship, number two, if you're taking notes in your outline, real friend, a real friendship is, number two, mutually beneficial. It's mutually beneficial. Now, here's what I mean. In verse 17 of Proverbs 17, or Proverbs 27, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You see, I had a friend in high school named Doug, who was like a real, he was a cool guy. We had um, 10th grade geometry together, and uh, neither of us liked the class. Both of us kind of goofed off, and um, the only difference was he passed and I failed. It's pretty much the only difference. Um, but he was like a really, really funny guy. And um, back then, I still had my sense of humor, except I had zero restraint on it. So you can imagine just the insanity there. Um, but we, we had so much fun together, laughing constantly, that we're like, man, we should, we should hang out uh, one day. And so one day, it was a Saturday, we decided to go do something together. And I, can I just tell you this? It was like the most boring day of my life. And I just thought that we'd like be laughing. It would be like stand-up comedy as we walked around. It wasn't, man. I was like wishing I was in school. And that's a lot for me because I was not a fan. Um, I think the fact that I used to run a college was like God getting a chuckle out of me. Like, you hate school, now you're going to run one. Um, you know, and, and so, but, but that was just the, the, the weird thing. And, and, and here's the thing that I realized is that part of friendship um, was that you just, it's not just about laughing, but instead it was about um, having not something in common, but then also that, that, that thing that we have in common actually deepens um, our friendship. And we didn't have that, and so we never really were kept in touch um, after that. And that's the, same, that's the thing that we have to understand about friendship, is that friendship is supposed to be mutually beneficial. You see, because you have relationships, it's the same way I have relationships, that it's like, it's not give and take, you know, or it is give and take, it's you give and they take, you know, and it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's not right. You know, and the thing, the thing you have to ask yourself about friendships is, in light of the verse that we just read, is this relationship sharpening? You know, I mean, in my life, as it says, iron sharpens iron. Is this person sharpening my relationship with God and my ability to be effective for God? Or are they actually dulling my relationship and my ability to be effective with God? Because the Bible tells us this in Proverbs 15, or pardon me, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You see, I, uh, let me explain it to you this way. I have a friend that I've known um, for probably almost 15 years. And um, he is a really cool guy. Uh, he's a great guy to be around. I mean, he's a lot of fun. And him and I have done tons of stuff together over the last 10, 15 years. Um, but here's one of the things that I, one of the patterns that I began to see in my relationship and my friendship with him is that everything was about him. Everything was about him. So he'd call me and it didn't matter what day, what time because he had a question or because of something I could do for him. And, you know, more often than not, I would try to help him out to take care of it. But then here's the thing that was interesting is that um, I would talk to him and 
for every maybe 10 times he asked something of me, maybe one time I would ask a favor of him. And, you know, here was the odd part is that he never, ever came through. He would say he would come through, but he never would. Or he would maybe downplay, oh, yeah, I can't really do that. I mean, I know you might think that, but I can't really do that. And, you know, I realized, and this is the thing that I realized, and I realized this two or three years ago, that this guy that I actually thought was my friend, and I said, this isn't really friendship. Now, you say, well, that seems a little bit harsh to say. Well, it, it may seem harsh, but it's, it's, it's the truth. And here's what I know, is that all of us have those kinds of relationships where people are just, you know, it's give and take. It's you give and they take. And you give and they take. And, you know, that's not a friendship. Here's what that's called. That's called a parasitic relationship where a parasite attaches itself to a host, sucks the life out of them. And then when they've left you just like a bloody carcass, they're like, all right, I'm done. I'm not returning his calls anymore. And then they just attach themselves to somebody else. And listen, that's not friendship. You know, that might be called something else, but that's not friendship. Why? Because friendship is mutually beneficial as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. That's the thing. Remember, we talked about in the beginning, David and Jonathan. We talked about David and Jonathan. How did they become friends? There was a mutual interest that they had. There was the kind of life that they were living that kind of like brought the two of them together. Let me explain what I mean. Um, and because we read this in 1 Samuel 18 in that first passage that we read. But what's happened in the first 17 chapters of 1 Samuel? Well, it tells us how these guys became friends in a couple of little snippets. And that's when we realize that they're now, they make this covenant of friendship in 1 Samuel 18. But let me explain to you how. In 1 Samuel 14, um, Jonathan wakes up one night while his dad, Saul, the king, is encamped um, uh, 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 just away from the Philistine army. And the next day they were going to go to battle against the Philistines. But, But Jonathan wakes up in the middle of the night and here's what he says. He says, you know, God doesn't need a lot of people to defeat an army. He can defeat by many or by few. And so he says to his armor bearer, now the armor bearer is an interesting job because you just carry the sword until you actually need one. So he just carries the sword, carries the shield, and then when the battle starts, you know, Jonathan will say, armor bearer, sword, shield, here we go. And then it's like, armor bearer is like, well, what am I supposed to do? I don't know, go hide in a bush or something. I don't know what to tell you. And so... Uh, I got nothing for you because there's only one sword, one shield, and I'm going to use it. And so, well, here's what happens. He says, well, let's go. And he says, well, and, and then this is the part that I, this is the part that I, 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 you can look this up in your Bible. It's in 1 Samuel 14, and I, I literally laugh every time I read it. And he says this. He says, um, you know, God doesn't need a whole army. Let's, you and I go and fight the army. And then it says this, and perhaps, perhaps God will help us. And you think like the armor bearer is like, you know, if I'm going to go into battle, no sword, no shield, maybe we can have a little more than perhaps God will help us. You think God will do it? And here's Jonathan's answer. I don't know. Maybe. You see, I don't have a sword. Maybe isn't going to be good enough. But he says, well, here's what we'll do. This is Jonathan says. We'll get to to where they are. And if they say we'll come down, then we'll run away. But if they say you come up to us, we'll know that God's delivered us into their hands. Well, they get to the mountain um, and they say, you know, they see Jonathan and they say, what are you doing here? And they say, why don't you come up to us and we'll show you a thing or two. And Jonathan says, it's on. So they go up and then Jonathan, here's the amazing thing is that Jonathan by himself is defeating this entire regiment of the Philistine army. What is the armor bearer doing? We're not sure. He doesn't have a sword. So he's probably like 
you know, saying very strong words. Yeah, take that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not, not, not a lot of talk stuff there. You know, he's got nothing, you know. But he's just like, you know, just cheering on or something. Well, so imagine this. You've got a guy who's defeated this entire section of an army by himself. In fact, there's this one scene where uh, Saul wakes up and it's like, well, where's Jonathan? He's like, well, there's the whole um, Philistine army is running that way and Jonathan's chasing after them. That's like the report that he gets. All right. Now, let me fast forward a little bit to 1 Samuel 17. David has actually been um, keeping the fields of, of his father, keeping his sheep. He's a shepherd. And yet all of his other sons, because he has seven older brothers, they get drafted by Saul into, the, into Israel's army. And so now here they are. They're in this army. And here's what they say. And they're, they're kind of encamped against the Philistines. Same scene. Well, Jesse, who's David's dad, says, David... I want you to go to the battle lines, you know, where, where your, your brothers are, and I want you to bring them these, um, you know, these, these, um, these big, giant, like, heads of cheese, and then um, I want you to bring them these ten loaves of bread. So basically, he's like, you know, I've made some grilled cheese sandwiches. Can you bring them to your brothers? Um, and so he says, okay. So as David gets closer, he hears somebody just shouting obscenities. And he, as he gets closer, it's this guy who's like nine feet tall. Name is Goliath. Maybe you've heard of him. And Goliath is there, and David shows up, and he's got the cheese, and he's got the bread, and he's like, he's got his little cart, and he's like, what's up with, who's going to fight this guy? And the Bible says this, that all of Israel's army was afraid of him. And he says, don't you, who's going to take this guy on? And he's like, I'll take him on. And they're like, you're take him on. You're the cheese guy. What are you going to do? Throw some Gouda at him? Take that. Oh, I've got Brie in the back if you want more. You know what I mean? What is this? We don't have American cheese because it hasn't been invented yet, but I so hit you with it. You know, what is that? So, but here's what he does. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to defeat him. And here's the thing that's so interesting. 17-year-old kid, he walks into the middle of this valley, the Valley of Elah. It was 10 years ago I was there able to stand there in, in the southern part of Israel on the Valley of Elah where David killed Goliath. And um, so incredible. And, that, and as um, David walks up, he grabs five smooth stones and he takes out his sling. And here's what Goliath says to him. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut your head off and I'm going to feed it to the birds. He says, that's what you get for me to, you know. And he says, what am I, a dog that you should send out a child to come fight me? And then David says to him, he says, you know what? You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whose armies you have defied. And today I'm going to cut off your head. By the way, David doesn't have a sword. He's got five rocks and a sling. So I don't know how he's planning on doing that, but he's like, you know what? You're going to cut off my head. I'm going to cut off your head. Take that. Oh, I don't have a blade. Oh, wait, I'll figure that out. I'm going to cut your head off. What do you think of that? And then and here's what happens. You know the story. One, one rock throws it at him, buries right into the center of his forehead, and he falls down dead. And here's why I tell you all of this. Is that David now takes the sword of Goliath, and he cuts off the head of Goliath. And he walks back to the camp with this giant sword in one hand and the head of this giant in the other. And I'm sure all the way there he's thinking, what in the world am I going to do with his head now that I'm done with it? You know, is anybody here a taxidermist? Anyway, so... He's got the head, he's got the sword, and then he walks around, right? And then, and, and, but here's the thing that's so interesting. In fact, let me read you um, 
Let me read you this passage. Um, this is the whole section that we read. This is in 1 Samuel 18. It says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. This is after the whole scene with Goliath. And David made a covenant, or Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And David took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, by the way, a symbol of authority, and along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. You know what's so interesting to me? Is that you would think that when David showed up, because you know, when David killed Goliath, they started writing songs. Like the number one song on Israel's billboard, on the radio Israel at that time, was here was, here was, there was a short song, here were the lyrics. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed tens of thousands. Now, here's the thing. David had only killed one guy. So it was, I mean, it was a slight exaggeration. So I was like, well, well, how is that? Well, everybody just thought, this was what everybody thought. If David killed Goliath, he can take out 10,000 people, I'm sure. Because that guy was like the size of like 50,000 people or something. That guy was humongous. And so here was the deal. But, you know, if, if I was David, and I'm not, but if I were, I'd probably carry, I'd probably carry Goliath's sword around. So when I showed up and people were like, Oh, hey, what's up, David? You know, and they tried to mess with me. I'm like, you know whose sword this was? A guy that's about 10 feet taller than you. And I cut his head off. So you know what? I said supersize it, and you're going to do it now. You know what I mean? Or whatever. You know what I mean? So however it works, you know, if somebody's giving me a hard time at a fast food place, I want that falafel, and I want it now. Um, so, so here's what happens. So, but he doesn't carry around the sword of Goliath. You know what carries, or who carries around? Which this would have been the symbol of his victory, of his might, of his power, and of his strength. Instead, he carries around the sword that Jonathan gave him, which was a symbol of friendship. Because, listen, that iron sword, because it says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And so let me kind of bring this now back to earth, back to, you know, 2009. I mean, how do we actually do that? How does a person, a friend, actually sharpen the countenance of his friend? How does iron sharpen iron in a friendship? Well, let me give you three ways if you're taking notes. Number one is this, by asking the tough questions. By asking the tough questions. Friends don't just talk about the weather and TV shows and sports. They talk about those things, but they don't just talk about those things. They talk about the stuff that really matters. You see, the friends that I have that have the relational capital to talk to me about this stuff, they'll ask me about my relationship with God, my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my kids, and if it's where it should be. And then they're wise enough and smart enough, and I respect them enough that they can ask me the follow-up questions. Like, so how are things with your wife? If I just say, well, you know, I'm still married. You know, like, that's not enough. You've got you to ask a little bit more. And so pretty good isn't an answer. By the way, real friends know if you're lying to them. Number two is this, by offering godly counsel. By offering godly counsel. You see, a good friend gives godly advice. In Proverbs 27, it says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. See, you ever have that? You ever just like smelled clothes that came out of the dryer, and you're like, man, that just smells so clean and so refreshing. You know, it's downy fresh, Right? We've all had that, you know, and that's what the Bible says. It's that there's a sweetness and a freshness when a friend gives us delightful counsel. When he gives us counsel that we're like, man, I never saw that before. It's like a smell coming into our nostrils that we hadn't experienced before. It's like I never saw that perspective before. That's what a good friend does. And then number three is by setting a godly example. 
Because there's few things that are more powerful than the power of a godly example. Um, I spoke at a church, the church that I um, came out of and really learned everything I know about ministry um, a few months ago. And uh, after I had spoken there uh, one evening, um, there was this line of people to talk to me after just kind of want to shake my hand or people that I'd known previously or former students that I had and that wanted to let me know how they're doing. And um, there was this one guy that, that I, and I didn't even notice him at first just because, um, you know, he was, you know, just a real, you know, blue collar looking guy. He still had his work boots on and they were dirty and still had like a uniform type of deal on. And uh, like he had just left the shop that he worked at and just had come straight to church. And um, uh, when, you know, he, we, I got to the end of the line, um, he was kind of looking down and then I got to the end of the line and he looked up um, and he put out his hand and he said, hi, Bob, uh, do you remember me? And, um, man, I, I, I saw him, and I shook his hand, and I hugged him. And I, I'm telling you, I, I, like, moved to tears when I saw him. And I said, Bill, of course I remember you. How, how wouldn't I remember you? And, um, see, this guy had lived a couple doors down from me when I was a young Christian. And, um, you know, he had, um, I remember coming home one day and talking to him, and he learned that I had just become a Christian. I had only been a Christian for, like, a year. And he said, um, he said, hey, any time that um, if you have questions about the Bible or something, if you ever want to talk, um, just knock on my door and uh, maybe we can, you know, we'll talk. And, and if there's any questions that we don't have any answers to, then we'll just go to, you know, one of the pastors and we'll ask them. And, and then, you know, we'll get we'll get the answer. And he says, and I said, well, how, do, how would I do that? And he says, well, just do this. Get a notebook. And then as you're just reading the Bible, just write down every question that you have. Well, I had just started trying to read, read through the entire Bible. And when he said that to me, um, I was starting to read through the book of Leviticus, right? And if you've ever read through Leviticus, you're like, yeah, this, that'll, that'll pop up a question or two. Um, and then I, and so um, I'm, I'm writing down, I remember one night, this is like the, that, next, that next Sunday. And so I said, maybe like next Sunday night, I can come over to your house and, and do that. Well, the next Sunday night, about six o'clock, I knock on his door and I come in and I sit down and I meet his wife and his kids and... Um, and I, I sit down, right, and um, and I just said, well, I've got 27 questions, and about a third of them have to do with leprosy um, in, in Leviticus. I kid you not. And uh, his question was, he goes, well, do you have leprosy? I said, no. He goes, all right, well, at least we're starting in a good place. Um, and so I'm like, uh, that's, that's good. And um, and here's the thing is that um, and it was like every time I, had, I got like a page full of questions, I'd knock on his door, and we'd go through this, this whole thing again. And, you know, the big thing for me, wasn't that, like, you know, all these questions and things that, you know, maybe don't totally pertain to us in, in the era in which we're living. But um, the thing that I just over and over learned, and then he would give me books and say, hey, you know, here's this big, thick book on apologetics and kind of defending your faith, and here, here's something that will help you. And, um, and I still have it. The book is falling apart. It's actually held together by a rubber band. Um, and, and, I, and I remember, and, um, and he, would, he would share that um, uh, you know, he gave him, gave him the book, and every, every couple of weeks we do this, you know, 20, 30 questions that I had. And, um, and so anyway, back to the standing in line, shakes my hand, do you remember me? And, um, and I said, yeah, you know, I said, of course. And I, and, um, and so he, he, uh, he kind of smiles and, and he says, um, you know, you know, you just preached to th- in front of 3000 people. I'm, I'm guessing you're doing okay. And you're still walking with Jesus. And I said, yeah, I am. And, um, and then I, I just, 
I said, listen, there's something that I really needed to tell you, and I, and I never did, and I just, you know, I got married, and stuff happened. I said, but I, um, I, 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 never, I never really thanked you um, because you took so much time with me. Um, and um, I, I never thanked you for the hours that you spent with me. And I said, I just want to tell you just how much it meant to me. And and you know you 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 bought me books and you helped me and I'm I'm hope I'm guessing some of that was like you know if I buy him some books he won't have quite so many questions, um, you know, and um, and and all that and I said you know I just don't really feel like I ever really thanked you the way that I probably should have thanked you and I said but I just want you to know how much your investment in my life has meant to me. And uh, and he said listen. See, you know, and, and it was just like, yeah, I mean, I'm like falling apart at this time. And, and he's like, listen, just seeing you and seeing how well you're doing and seeing what God's doing in your life is enough thanks for me. And um, listen, that's the power of a godly example. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he said, don't let anyone look, on down, look down on you because you're young, but instead set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and in purity. There's one more thing I want to tell you. I'm, I'm like right out of time, but I just want to say one more thing, and that is this third point, and that is that um, real friendships, number three, are dependable in tough times. They're dependable in tough times. In, in Proverbs 18:24, it says this. It says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, it's easy to have a lot of friends when things are going well. But you really know who your friends are when things are falling apart. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 17, 17, it says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. You see, the people who stand with you in the darkest times in your life, those are your friends. Why? Because it's not fun to be a friend when things are going bad. But it's what a friend does. And here's what you might be thinking. You might be saying, but Bob, you don't understand. I've had friends and they betrayed me and I've had friends and they ran out of me. And the moment that I needed the most, they left. And can I just tell you this is that there's someone who understands. And his name is Jesus. Because he had a friend who betrayed him that he never would have thought. And he betrayed him. He had his friends who, in the night that he was going to be betrayed, just before that happened, when he was going to be crucified, here's what he said to them. He said, could you just pray with me for an hour? I, because my, 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 my soul is just is, is, is heavy, and I just need to pray. Could you just pray with me for an hour? And here's what his best friends, his inner circle, the ones who, who, who proclaimed their undying faith for him, the Bible says they fell asleep. And then when the soldiers came to arrest him, those same guys who said, we're not going to be scattered and we'll never deny you. Instead, we will die for you. Just a couple of hours later, they all, this is what the Bible says, they all forsook him. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase to use, that they all forsook him? Why? Because here's what the Bible says of the person of Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said this, that I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. When Jesus was a very popular rabbi in Israel, he didn't hang out with the religious elite. He hung out, and this is what they called him. They called him a friend of sinners. 
a friend of sinners. And let me tell you that I am one sinner who is very, very grateful that he has chosen to be a friend with me. And I know the same is true for you. If you come into a relationship with God and you've invited Jesus to forgive you because of the work that he did, that now we can have access to God through the finished work of Jesus. Listen, you realize that, you know what? It's because Jesus decided to give himself, to sacrifice himself. See the passage in John, and we'll close with this, where Jesus says this, greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. You've ever wondered, if, does God really love me? Can I just tell you this? He loves you, and he laid down his life for you. Jesus would say these words, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then the Father will give each of you what you ask in my name. And this is my command, that you love each other. Listen, maybe you've never asked God to come into your life. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to forgive you because of his finished work. And you say, I want this friend, Jesus, who sticks closer than a brother. Then here's the step. He's already proven how much he loves you. He died for you. He laid down his life for his friends. And now here's the step that we take. We simply invite him. And it's a simple prayer that you can pray in the quietness of your own seat, in the quietness of your own heart. And you just say, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. The Bible says that if you proclaim with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. It's not about works that we've done. Jesus did the work. That's what a true friend has done for us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being the example. Thank you for your son who shows us what a friend really is. And Lord, I just ask and pray that each of us would be the kind of friends that you've called us to be. And Lord, I just pray for those who maybe even today are praying that simple prayer and just saying, God, forgive me. God, I need you. God, thank you for Jesus. Come into my life because I want to walk with you. That those who would pray that in sincerity, that you would hear, that you would respond and act, and that you would change their destinies, their eternities, and the trajectory of their life starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen.